Welcome back to Women's Wealth, The Middle Way, the show that answers your questions about work, money, and family. My name is Susan McGlory Michael, and I am the CEO and founder of Glen Eagle, a wealth management firm in New Jersey. Our guest today is Kara Brookins. After surviving domestic violence, Kara was faced with a stark challenge to provide for her four children, with no one to turn to but herself. In a desperate need of a home, but without the means to buy one, she did something incredible. She built her very own 3,500-square-foot home from scratch by using YouTube tutorials while building her family. She has been entertaining, educating, and inspiring audiences with her keynotes and presentations since 2004. She's the author of eight books, including Rise, How a House is Built, a Family, which tells the story of building this 3,500-square-foot home with the help of her four children by watching YouTube tutorials and Googling things like foundation work, plumbing, gas lines. News of Kara's building a house with her kids by watching YouTube tutorials went viral in more than 65 countries and was viewed a billion times. Rise has now even been talked about for a major motion picture. Kara, I think when we talked prior to this, I said I was in awe of you, and I'm sure our listeners are. Welcome to our podcast today. (laughs) Well, thank you, Susan. It's great to be here. What I did begin to tell Kara when we were talking before we started, I said, you know, Kara, I raised four children, but I can't imagine doing all you have done with raising them and on your own. What are some of the challenges you faced when you were you're in this predicament? What was going through your mind and your heart at that time? Oh, you can imagine there were so many challenges. The idea of building a house when I was I was a computer programmer and an author, so the least likely person to be out swinging a pickaxe and hauling concrete around. So, (laughs) so many challenges. (laughs) But, you know, I think that right from the start, we didn't know how to do a single thing. So every single day that we show up out on the construction site, we knew that we were just going to have to keep failing and failing until we figured out how to do each part of a project. And that kind of humbling experience and that connecting experience of figuring it out together, it changed everything about our family, about our personalities, about what we were willing to try, especially as people who were kind of broken down. You know, it really, really challenged and changed us. And how did you just decide you were going to buy property? And how old were your children when this journey began? Where they, they seemed from the pictures that they were fairly young. Yeah, my kids were 17, 15, 11, and 2. So we went into this knowing we were going to have a toddler on a construction site. And the idea started pretty simply. This was the end of 2007. So as a computer programmer, I was pretty familiar with just Googling things to learn stuff. And YouTube was brand new. So that was the first time that all of us could just Google something and go to one place and find hundreds of videos of how to do it. And that was a big difference from finding pictures or text. And my kids and I needed a house. We'd been through terrible domestic violence. My financial situation was dire. I had a great job. So I had a great starting point as a computer programmer. But 
we really needed a boost. And with two of the kids being ready to go off to college, I knew that if I just, you know, borrowed the money and bought this little bitty house that was a fixer upper and piled us all in, I knew the kids would never have a reason to come home again. You know, they, we weren't a close family. We'd been through really bad things. So we needed some kind of a project that would pull us together. Initially, I thought, you know, like, we'll run a marathon or climb a mountain. But I hate running. <laughs> and I live in Arkansas. <laughs> there aren't any great mountains around here. And I needed us to have something at the end, something tangible, something we could touch. So that kind of all merged into this idea of, what if we take the money I can borrow from the bank and just buy all of the supplies and just put the house together ourselves? Kind of like an idea project, you know? I guess it was. <laughs> and how many hours did you spend a week on this? And how did you juggle all the other tasks of motherhood and for the children, their needs and um, activities? How did you decide as a family sort of how you were going to sort through this and the process of time. and Yeah, of course, scheduling was the biggest challenge through all of it. There's a, a quote that I'll probably butcher, but it just came to mind by Charles Kettering, and it's, no man would have crossed an ocean if he could have gotten off the ship in the middle of the storm. You know, this idea that sometimes you've locked yourself into something, and yeah. oh my goodness, if you could find a way out, you would take it. But what I did was sabotage any way out because... I borrowed all the money that the bank would let me and spent it on the supplies. So there was no way out. I couldn't change my mind. The only way we could have a house is if we put it together. And I had a nine-month construction loan. And that's because I was considered a little bit of a high risk, you know, as a woman out there building a house. (laughs) So I was working full-time writing computer code. And, of course, the kids had school. So this was getting up at 4.30 every morning, going into the office. So I could get off by three and grab the kids from school. And then all of us changing into these old, you know, mud encrusted clothes in the car and uh, heading out to the construction site and then working up to 20 hours a day, seven days a week out here building this house. And but, you know, but the, the power, it sounds like the power that you brought to these children that had been through a traumatic experience. And now all of a sudden they're transitioning a lot of negative baggage that was put on them that they didn't ask for. And now they have a purpose. Did you start to sense, like, as you were going through this process, the change in your family and how you even interacted with each other and um, working through some of these issues, even for yourself? I mean, here you are, maternal instincts took over, obviously. You wanted something. I mean, you actually, what a gift you gave them. You knew, it sounds like, that they needed more and that you needed to save your family. So the house, I don't know, maybe I'm interpreting, but it appears to me the house was just kind of the symbol of what you needed greater to have accomplished. Is that sort of where you were going? And how did that start when you, I know the first few days, right? Or the first month or two, and here you are, did you see a change in the individual children and how they start to respond? Oh, absolutely. And you know, of course, well, this started being all about, we need a place to live, we need a house. And that seemed to be the goal, you know, without a doubt, by the time we got to the end, this project had nothing to do with a house by the time we finished, because the first couple of times that we came out here, you know, the first project is building a foundation. Well, that was 1,500 of these huge gray concrete blocks. I mean, all of my muscles were from typing, 
you know, and I had these yeah. kids who were small, <laughs> who were weak, and just the sheer physicality of what we were facing, this brutally hard work, it was physically demanding and literally working by the headlights of the car because I had no electricity out here. I had no idea how to get the electricity hooked up. So we're just out here working in kind of these third world conditions, trying to figure all of this out. And my kids and I didn't know how to communicate. We've been going through this trauma for 10 years of, of stalking and of domestic violence. And we'd all kind of gotten into this, you know, what I would call a survival mode. You're just trying to get through every day and you only know the surface of each other because everyone is protecting themselves. So we have a a zillion walls built up between us and around our own hearts and minds. So out here and trying to learn one another's communication strengths and weaknesses and also just mental strengths and weaknesses from a standpoint of who can do the geometry the fastest and who's good at fine detail work and who we could rely on for each part. And at the beginning, it was just this horror of what have I done and how will we make it through this? And then within just a few weeks, the four kids and I all out here just rolling around in the mud and laughing and laughing with our guards down and relaxed enough for the first time to really laugh in years. So that's when I knew, I knew things were changing. There's a whole lot of power in physically taking action. And in our society, we've all kind of gotten in the habit of talking about it and reading about it. And in in sitting down within ourselves, instead of getting up and swinging a hammer, hitting things really hard feels good. And it feels powerful and it releases some of the walls that you've built up around your mind and the tracks that you get stuck in. There was so much power in all of it. And the power of overcoming like the adversity and actually, you know, when they say you can be a victim or you can change it into creativity, it sounds like you all really accomplished that and did that. When you're traveling, you are all over the country. I know you've written the book Rise, which is amazing and You travel to speak and to talk to others. That has to be also inspirational that you're taking what you've learned and what we often would smile and say, the real school of hard knocks. It's not degrees. It's you've accomplished it from the ground up. What is the feeling when you're meeting all these people all over in different states throughout the country that really are going through adversity? What is it that goes through your heart when you're talking to them and you're hearing their stories? Yeah, you know, that was such a challenge for me to get up on stages and talk about this. I initially was a person who spoke about writing and about fiction. And the first couple of times getting up on the stage and talking about myself in a really vulnerable and raw way was so tough. And I was so focused on me. You know, what will they think of me? These are the the worst mistakes I've ever made and how they hurt my kids. That's how I was looking at what I was sharing. And I very quickly learned, you know, when I'd step off a stage and talk to people, hey, this isn't about me at all. It was about this level of connection that being real and honest and raw brings to a group of people. And that I would step off the stage and people lining up to say, oh, my goodness, here's what I'm going through. And most of the time there are on the surface zero similarities between the details of what they are going through and how they are trying to rebuild and my own story. 
But that's the beauty of us as humans, that the thought process and the struggles and the obstacles all feel the same. We're all trying to do something really hard to make our life better. And, you know, the simplicity of that connection is amazing. And every event, I am so happy to be able, that's my favorite part, is to hear those stories, is to hear them after, because I leave so charged up and inspired by the things that everybody's doing. And uh, I love it. I love it. Every now and then somebody starts out with, wait till you hear what I'm doing because of you. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> you know? No, but you know you what? Know, to restore hope. Good. Oh, I agree. I, I'm listening to your story and I'm thinking there's so many people that just need that ray of hope or that, you know, I don't have to think of it just one way. There's other ways to think of this, even just one small step. You know, just to take that one step in the right direction and see someone who had a family that was floundering. I mean, literally floundering. Yeah. You could have gone in such a different direction. And this, the gift that all hope is never lost, that there's always something. I once had a friend and we used to say, sometimes you have to take one week at a time, one day at a time, one step at a time, but sometimes it's just one hour, one minute at a time, And but you'll get there. You just break it down and break it down. You have been so inspirational today, but we always ask our guests when we're closing a podcast, what advice would you give someone who is trying, in your case, to rebuild their life? What would be the one thing that you might tell someone listening today that's really a floundering or know someone that's floundering that they could take away that maybe that you could share with them? I think I'd say two things. First, I'd say this idea of one hour at a time, one step at a time is so fantastic. But I think that we have gotten in the habit of being too cautious with our moves. We're too afraid to fail. We're too afraid to try the big thing that we really want to do because nobody's really motivated by I'm going to be one baby step further by the end of the day. It's hard to get up and motivate yourself. So for me, it was all about making this massive move, a massive move that had really high risk. I could have lost all of my money and literally had no place to live. I bet everything on this one massive move and then we had to rise to the challenge. So I think to really make a change in your life, that that's what it has to be. It has to be go for that biggest dream because that's the one you're going to be, you're going to stay motivated to reach and to do it in this physical way, not to sit down and plan it for the next five years to get up and do it. I bought an acre of land to build this house within days of having the idea. I just immediately started and locked myself in. And then I think second, it's about who you surround yourself with that you have to 100% believe you can achieve this. And then you have to surround yourself with other people who believe it too. And a lot of times that's hard because the people around us try to protect us by saying, don't set yourself up for failure. And I say, heck no, set yourself up for failure. Dive in and find the people who will support you. I was fortunate I just had to convince my kids and your kids are really, really, they believe that their mom is making a sane decision. Right, right. Oh my gosh. I I, I believe so much. And I often tell people when I'm talking to them, don't think with your head, think with your heart. If it's in your heart and you're going to do it. And for you, you had no choice but to accomplish this. Everything was on the line. Mm -hmm. So I cannot 
tell you how much you have inspired me and I know our listeners. So thank you so, so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. And I can't wait to hear what you and all of the listeners too, what you guys are building. Well, we'll we'll be reaching out to you, especially on one of those days. <laughs> Great. <laughs> well, thank you, Kara. Thanks for tuning into today's episode of Women's Wealth, The Middle Way. Make sure to subscribe to us and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast app. Join us for new episodes every other Wednesday. See you in two weeks.